Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. So I'm about to share with you an illustration, um, and it's an illustration that uh, we shall never mention again beyond this point in time, okay? So just, just keep that in mind. About a week and a half ago, uh, we had our final softball game of the year, and it was not just any normal softball game, it was the championship softball game. It was by Jonathan and Linda's house, and so they came over with their kids. My wife came, who normally doesn't come, and my kids came, and it was this huge event. Well, we got to the end of the seventh inning, which is the the game length, seven innings, and the score was 22 to 22. Uh, It was a very high-scoring game. And so we went into the eighth inning, and they got up to bat, and they scored three runs, and so they're up by three, and we're up to bat. We're the home team, so this is our final chance. And to make a long story short, bases are loaded, two outs, and I am coming up to bat. And so I'm sitting there thinking, you know, this is what movies are made of right here, right? This is what dreams are made of. This is a chance to become legendary. And I'm just walking up to play thinking, you know what, let's just hit a grand slam, get this thing over with, we'll cheer, we'll celebrate, it will be amazing. And so the first pitch comes, perfect, exactly what I want. Swing for the fences, make contact, figure out it's a dribbler back to the pitcher. I'm overly optimistic, so I start running to first base. No chance. I'm out. Game over. Championship. Done. You know, we have dreams of greatness and glory, don't we? (laughs) We want to be great. We want to be glorious. And yet, so often, it escapes us, the greatness and glory that we long for. Friends, I believe that we were actually created for greatness. We were created for glory, but seldom do we find its realization in our life. And so the question we want to ask today is, how do we pursue the greatness that God has intended for us, the greatness we were made for? If you would, please open up to Mark chapter 10. It's also in your bulletin as well. Um, I'm not sure what page number it is because we don't have the Red Bible. Well, we do have some, but Mark chapter 10. The context to this passage is very important. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus focuses us on the coming kingdom of God. And Jesus says to his apostles that the kingdom is not only in the future, in eternity, but the kingdom is starting right now. And so the apostles are excited. They are pumped up and ready to go take the kingdom by force. In the next passage, we see that Jesus leads the charge towards Jerusalem. And as he's leading the charge towards Jerusalem, he stops the apostles to let them know that the way that he is going to establish the kingdom is not by them humiliating and killing their enemies, but by their enemies humiliating and killing Jesus. 
And so what we'll see in today's passage is that this goes right over the disciples' heads as it exposes their preoccupation with their own glory and greatness. So let's look together. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. It is in the bulletin if you need it there. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord God. We come today knowing that we have built within this, within us this desire for greatness. And like so many good things that you give to us, we pervert it for our own cause and our own promotion. And so God, show us how you have created us, the path for greatness that you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our obsession with greatness in America can be summarized in the simple campaign motto, Make America great again. Whether you're Republican or Democrat or somewhere in between, it's undisputed that this rallied millions of Americans and helped this long-shot business tycoon become president of the United States. We want greatness. I mean, does anyone here dream of mediocrity? I hope you don't dream of mediocrity. I hope you dream of greatness because you were made by God for greatness. But what does that greatness look like and how do we achieve that greatness? How do we make mediocre Christianity and Christians great again? How can we both atone, uh, sorry, how can we both attain the greatness God has intended for us and the greatness that we long for. That's what we look at in today's passage. And there are three aspects of greatness that we will see in our passage today. The first is our longing for greatness. The second is the elusiveness of greatness. And the third is God's path to greatness. So our longing, the elusiveness, and God's path to greatness. First, our longing for greatness. Look with me again at verse 35. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. 
Uh, if you are a parent, you may have heard this from your child, but certainly all of us have probably done this at children at one point in time where we said, hey, listen, mom or dad, I'm going to ask you a question, but I'm only going to ask it to you if you promise to say yes, right? So basically what the disciples are asking here is for a blank check. Now, instead of asking his disciples to rephrase the question, which we might expect Jesus to do, Jesus plays along. Verse 36, and Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Remember, Jesus had just told them, we covered this last week, Jesus just told them that he was going to Jerusalem to be spit on, to be flogged, to be humiliated, and to be killed. And yet this is the question that they come up with. Grant us to sit at your right hand and left hand in glory. Now, to their credit, they are not asking to be king. They are acknowledging that Jesus is king, but they want to be the next greatest thing in the kingdom of God. They want to be vice kings of Jesus. They want the place of top honor, one at the right and one at the left of Jesus. Now, we might be tempted to think that James and John are just very power-hungry individuals, that these sons of uh, of, of Zebedee grew up in a family that, that was obsessed with status. But look down to verse 41. Verse 41 says, And when the ten heard it, that is, the rest of the apostles, they began to be indignant at James and John. Remember, these apostles had left homes and families and lucrative businesses to come and follow Jesus. They were not necessarily the most self-centered men you would think of, and yet all of them are mad at James and John because they called shotgun in the kingdom of God before they could. You see, we all want greatness and glory in the kingdom of God. The fact that every single apostle wanted this seems to suggest that this longing for greatness and glory is not just limited to a few bad apostles or a few bad apples, but it applies to everyone, even you and even me. As I said earlier, I believe we were made for greatness and glory, but what is important to see is that the greatness and glory that these apostles long for is worldly greatness and glory. It is self-exalting greatness and glory. They say, Jesus, yes, you are number one, but I want to be number one and a half, if that's okay with you. You know, as I look back at, at, that, at that illustration, at that story that we shall never repeat again, I remember standing at the plate and thinking, yes, I want to win. I want the team to win. I want Jesus to be glorified. But I also want to be epic. You know, if I hit the, this is, will be epic. This desire for self-promotion is something I fight on a daily basis. And I think all of us do. I mean, if we are honest with ourselves, wouldn't we confess that our greatness and glory, in at least part, is the reason we are so obsessed with our work? Isn't this why we want HGTV homes and get straight A's on our report cards? Isn't our greatness and glory at least part of the reason why we seek to excel in sports and music and drama and gaming and in hobbies? We want others to know how great and glorious we are. Isn't our, our glory the reason why skinny people wear revealing clothing? Isn't it why, why we take 20 pictures of ourselves before we can find the right one to post on social media? Isn't our greatness and glory why we are crushed by constructive criticism? Friends, here is how God is showing me how messed up I am. 
one of the reasons why I pursue godliness and humility and being a good pastor is so that people would notice how humble I am and how godly I am and what a great pastor I am. All of us have a God-given drive for greatness and glory. But if we are honest, I think we would all confess that we use that drive to promote ourselves most of the time, or at least a lot of the time, just as the 12 apostles were seeking to do. And so, friends, we were made for greatness, and yet the greatness we seek is often worldly, self-exalting, and just beyond our reach. And that brings us to our next point, which is the elusiveness of greatness. Look at verse 38 and 40 through 40 with me. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? What what a weird way to respond to this request to sit in the left and right. Can you be baptized with the baptism, drink the cup that I drink? What is Jesus talking about here? When we look into the Old Testament, uh, we see what this cup represents. Isaiah 51, 17 says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. In the Old Testament, the cup represented the wrath of God in many places, not all places, but many places. And that's why when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is praying to the Father before his execution, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup that is the cup of your wrath from me, yet not what I will, but your will be done. That's the cup that Jesus is talking about. What about the baptism? What baptism is Jesus talking about? Well, if you look in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking about his approaching death, and he says this. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Again, just like the cup, his baptism is pointing forward to his crucifixion at the cross, to his martyrdom, to his suffering, to really penal substitutionary atonement. I know that is a big phrase. Let me break it down for you. Penal simply means penalty, right? It's the punishment for something. Substitutionary means in the place of someone or something. And atonement is a payment for something. And so Jesus is saying, can you Take the just judgment and wrath of God to pay for the sins of humanity? Now, the obvious answer to that is no. But in verse 39, the sons of thunder say, we are able. Again, this clearly shows that Jesus' recent prophecy of his coming death flew right over their heads. But then Jesus concedes and uses the metaphor of baptism and cup in a different way to say they will in part share some of his faith. Fate. Verse 39 again, and Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. For these disciples, Jesus is acknowledging that they will share the common cup of suffering and martyrdom. The difference is Jesus did this to establish the kingdom of God. They will do it to expand the kingdom of God. Jesus now finally gets to their question and answers it directly. Verse 40, he says, But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. In other words, God the Father has already ordained these positions in the kingdom of God 
according to his hidden purposes. And I think it's according to his hidden purposes because he knows we would try to outmaneuver one another just like the apostles are to try to get to the right and left hand of Jesus. But here's the point. The disciples wanted self-exalted, worldly, political glory, greatness, and power. And they, like most people, would never get it. The worldly glory that they wanted so bad would elude them, as it does for all of us. One of you here, one of our members sent me a picture. It was on Facebook. Maybe you've seen it. But it, it speaks a little bit to the elusiveness of glory that we, we often seek. Uh, and the banner, I think, was held up in a church or a school or something like that. And, and it said something like this. It's a bit abrasive, but I think also has some truth in it that, that we need to hear. It says, the banner says this. It says, there is a 0.001% chance that your child will play professional sports. But there is a 100% chance that your child will stand before God on Judgment Day. And I can't remember if it was in there, but some like, take your kids to church. Like, that's kind of what the point of it was. In one of my dreams is that, is that Christians uh, would become more devoted to Christ's church than they would to youth sports. Uh, it's amazing how parents will wake up at 5 a.m., drive halfway across uh, the state, and spend hundreds of dollars to go to a tournament. Uh, but to wake up at 8 a.m. to go to church just seems too much to ask, right? Or how we'll go to five practices, two games, but community group, I'm just too busy for that. You see, we chase worldly greatness all the time. We chase worldly glory all the time, sometimes through athletics, but also through academics, through romantic relationships, through business success, through reputation, through social media posts, through beach bodies, even through money. I love the quote of J.D. Rockefeller, who was an American businessman who was the first billionaire in history. In today's dollars, he would be richer than any person in the history of mankind. Once Rockefeller was asked, how much money is enough? And his response was, one dollar more. One dollar more. You see, we are always chasing worldly greatness and glory. And the reason we are constantly chasing it is because it is elusive, because we never seem to be able to catch it. And so what is the secret? If this worldly greatness and, and glory is so elusive, if we can't seem to capture it, if we can't seem to attain it, what is the secret? How can we take this God-given desire for greatness that he has put inside of us and pursue it in such a way that it actually glorifies God and satisfies our soul? And that leads us to our final point. God's path to greatness. Verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Again, this is how the world pursues greatness, by attaining the highest position of power and then wielding that power to promote their own interests and their own greatness and their own glory. But then Jesus turns our pursuit of greatness on its head. He turns it upside down by telling us that God's path for true greatness is the exact opposite of the way that the world pursues greatness. Verse 43, he says, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. 
Jesus says that the greatest in the kingdom of God is, is, is a servant. It is a slave. This is an oxymoron because a king and a slave are at the utter ends of a kingdom. To put it in today's own language and, and experience, it would be if, if there's a White House press press briefing and they all crowd the room and instead of the president coming up it's the girl who busses the tables and cleans the dishes this is what jesus is talking about imagine if after a packer game and selling around the players they follow around, following around the players they follow around the guy who swept up the peanuts at the end of the game this is what jesus is saying is that the very lowest should be the very highest and the very highest should be the very lowest I don't know if you've ever been exposed to one of those pyramid schemes. You know the pyramid schemes where, where they're illegal but still happen. Uh, but, but in the pyramid scheme, there's a person at the top, and they get two under them, and then two under those two, and then two under those two. And then, and then it keeps going down, and then as they earn money, the, the money just filters upwards to this one person, right? And so everyone is there really to serve them and to boost their financial income. What Jesus is proposing here is an upside-down triangle in which you would put yourself at the very bottom and those above you, you would serve, that you would be a slave to them for the glory of God and the service to Christ. You know, I will tell you that as a pastor, in my experience, whether people are rich or poor, CEO or janitor, famous or infamous, the most joyful people I know are not those who seek to be the very top of the pyramid, but are at the very bottom serving those that God has put around them. And so let me ask the kids this. Who do you think is great? Aaron Rodgers, Drake, Taylor Swift, Matthew McConaughey, Mr. Beast, someone on YouTube or TikTok that I'm so uncool I don't even know who they are. According to Jesus, the greatest person you know is probably sitting right next to you. The greatest person you know is probably your mom or your dad, whose names will never be in lights, they will never sell out stadiums, but who imperfectly and tirelessly serve you and put your needs above their own. Church men and women, who do you think are the greatest people in the church? Is it those who, who talk the loudest, who have the most theological credentials, who have the, the best toys and the best houses that you can go and play at? Or it are those who serve faithfully and children's ministry like Awana and children's church, holding crying babies, teaching kids about Jesus, never really receiving much credit for how they are serving. Those who, without recognition, love the lonely, the needy, the hurting, the marginalized, the poor, the outcast. What about you here who are retired or headed towards retirement? What does it look like to be great in retirement? You know, I've never been retired, at least not voluntarily. I was fired. I called it retirement, but I've never been voluntarily retired. But of those who I know are retired, the American dream of a self-focused, self-centered retirement is the exact opposite of what Jesus says is great in the kingdom of God. As my dad said, retirement is refirement. It's time to go and do more ministry with whoever I can. There are so many who in retirement have the singular goal of living in luxury surrounded by kids and grandkids. And yet for a reason they do not understand, they are absolutely miserable telling everyone to get off their lawn. What I've noticed is that the great ones in retirement, the happy ones, the joy-filled ones, are not those who spend their retirement focused on themselves, but who seek to serve sacrificially others in the church 
among the poor, the marginalized, the lonely, and the lost. This upside-down path of greatness is not how we naturally operate. It, it, It doesn't come easy to us. It is hard for us to put ourselves last and to serve others first. And so what could possibly empower us and influence us to pursue greatness according to God, not by going to the top, but by going to the very bottom? Well, it comes when we realize that serving others is not only our path to greatness, it was also God's path to greatness. You see, Jesus held the place of highest honor, and he still does. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, but he is also CEO of CEOs, the pastor of pastors, executive of executives, president of presidents. There is no one higher than him, and all are below him. He is preeminent over all creation, and he reigns alone with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity reigns together at the very top. And yet his path of greatness was not to stay at the top, but to go to the very bottom, to become the very least for you and for me. Verse 45, he shows it this way. Look there with me. He says, for even the Son of Man, even the Messiah, even the Christ, even the promised one, even the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. And how did he do that? And to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, ever since the Garden of Eden, humanity has sought not to promote the greatness of God, but to usurp God's greatness and God's kingship and promote our own greatness. And instead of becoming great, we become slaves to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil. And yet Jesus, as the great one, the son of man, used his greatness not to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom. Now, when we hear this term ransom, we usually think of someone who is innocently kidnapped and they come up with some money to buy this person back. But in in this day, in Jesus' day, a ransom would be something that would be purchased uh, to to get someone out of slavery. Okay, That's what a ransom would be. And the price to purchase a person out of slavery could could be thousands of dollars. It could be millions of dollars. The price that Christ paid to get you out of slavery was not a million dollars, not a billion dollars. It was a life for a life. Robert E. Crimo III, I'm not sure if I said that right, Crimo III, is the suspect who killed seven people and injured dozens more in the Highland Park Independence Parade last month. Most likely he will be found guilty and sentenced to life in prison, and rightfully so. Could you imagine if Elon Musk caught wind of this, the richest man in the world, and he, and he said, you know what, I'm going to step down from my throne and take Robert's place in prison for the rest of his life. And not only that, I am going to give Robert my riches and my businesses and my inheritance. What do you think Elon Musk's advisors would say to him? They would say, you are nuts. We need to check you into a hospital. And yet our king has done something far greater than that. He has not only come to take our prison sentence, he has taken our death sentence and paid for it in full and given us the riches of heaven in its place. See, the path of greatness for Jesus was to go low to the very bottom, lower than your sin, so that he might raise you up with the riches of heaven in this life and the life to come. And so what can motivate us to walk God's path of greatness, to to sacrifice our schedule, our comforts, our energies, our, our, our 
our binge-watching of shows? Well, it's knowing that the Lord of Lord and kings of kings sacrificed everything to go low, to serve us, and to raise us up from the dead. Let me end with this. Um, a popular acronym uh, today is, is GOAT. Uh, anyone know what GOAT means? I'm guessing a ton of people do. All right, what's it mean? Greatest of all times. I think, I think most people know that. GOAT is greatest of all times. And, and this acronym shows our obsession with greatness, right? We want to know who's great and how they're great and things like that. People aspire to be the GOAT, the greatest of all time, and, and usually in sports. And, and the most popular of all sports is NFL sports. It's the GOAT of sports. It's the, it's the most lucrative sport there is. And the GOAT position in this GOAT sport of NFL is the quarterback. And so let me ask you, who is the GOAT quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, if you say the guy who won one Super Bowl, you're wrong, just so you know. It's the guy who has won seven Super Bowls, Tom Brady. The, the GOAT, uh, and not only, here's the thing, not only has Tom Brady won seven Super Bowls on two different teams, he is handsome, he is married to a supermodel, and he has millions and millions of dollars. Pastor Robert Cunningham, when I was listening to the sermon, points out that for these reasons, Tom Brady might be the greatest and most glorious man in America. And yet in a 2020 interview with Tom Brady, he asks this question. He says, why do I have all these Super Bowl rings and still think there is still something greater out there for me? I have reached my goal, my dream, my life, but me, I think there's got to be more than this. The interviewer is shocked by his transparency. And, and so the interviewer asks, so what's the answer? What's the answer to this greater greatness? And Tom Brady responds, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Friends, how many celebrity stories of hopelessness and destruction must there be? How many stories where we hear of top athletes and comedians and musicians and actors and artists who in utter despair take their own life or enslave themselves to addictions? How many of these stories do we need to hear in order we f- to finally believe that worldly greatness is not all that great? Worldly greatness is not all that great. The self-consumed, self-promoting, and self-exalting pursuit of worldly greatness is like eating tapeworms. We're always eating, but never satisfied. It always leaves us hungering for more compliments, more accolades, more power. Now, don't get me wrong. To, to get a word of encouragement, to get a promotion is something to celebrate. When, but when we need that for our own value and worth, when we don't have it and it leaves us completely empty inside, it is proof that we are made for another greatness. Christian, you were created for greatness. And if you see greatness through the self-focus, self-promotion that the world tells us to do, you will never be satisfied. But if you see greatness the way our king has displayed his greatness by becoming the lowest, by promoting first and foremost the glory of God and serving others, not only will we find our souls satisfied, but we will make Christianity great again. For even the Son of Man, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord God, 
We pray that throughout today, throughout this week, that you would expose to us how we put ourselves first, how we become the center of our own universe, and how we seek to promote our own greatness and our own glory instead of pursuing the path of greatness that you have laid out before us by serving those you have put around us, Lord God. So pray, Lord, that you would help us to live sacrificially for your glory, but also for our own joy. As we turn to the table, Lord, we are reminded of your path of greatness, that your greatness went all the way down to Calvary, where you died for us and rose to give us newness of life. May we receive this and be reminded of how we are called to follow your path to the cross, to die daily of our own agendas, our own desires, and to be great by serving you and others first. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you are here today and you are baptized and you have been admitted to this table by the leadership of the Gospel Preaching Church, we encourage you to come, to come and to partake of this meal, to be nourished in your faith, to be reminded of the greatness of our God and the greatness that He calls you to in serving others. But if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you've never received him, if you've not been baptized or admitted to this table by the leadership of a gospel preaching church, we encourage you to wait and take it genuinely in faith that's been confirmed by those who love you and care for you. We'll have uh, elders and deacons come forward at this time. We'll have several stations set up throughout the front here. We'll have one uh, that will go around to the cars and distribute communion there. If you would, please take the elements. Bring them back to your seat and we'll partake together as one body, the body of Christ.
out of the great love with which he loved us, the Lord Jesus, who is the greatest man to ever live, became the least. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread after blessing. He broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, Drink of this, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. King Jesus, we are so thankful that you came to earth and humbled yourself to the point of death, even death on the cross, that we might gain your resurrection and your riches of heaven for all eternity. We praise you for that. In your name, amen. If you would, let us stand and respond together to the riches we have in Christ.
greatness by becoming the very least and serving those around us. And with this great charge from Jesus, remember this great promise. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.